the intention of the Word of God isn't some religious book that we would read so that one day when we get to heaven, God will smile at us and open up the pearly gates so that we could get in. The intention of the Word of God is to instruct us on how to align ourselves with creation so that life really works for us. And that's why I love uh, really looking in the scriptures for the practical aspects of things because I want to know if the world is designed to work a specific way, I want to understand how do I align myself to it so that rather than fighting against creation, I am having creation fight for me. We've been talking about community in this, and one of the things that I, I find is, is that the world, through statistics and studies of what they've done, they really seem to have a better grasp on how do you um, successfully navigate relationships and community. But the more that you dig into things, the more that you begin to see that all that they do is take principles of the Bible, study them, and scientifically write about them in papers. It's actually annoying at times when you read things and this person gets, you know, this prize for this great study, and I'm like, King David did this 5,000 years ago, right? You're not that smart guy, okay? And, and that's what, but I love it because the Word of God actually has answers for us on how to successfully navigate relationships and finances and healing and wholeness, how we deal with trauma and past pain. The Bible has these answers for us. And Wednesday nights, that's really what they're all about, is helping us to really dig into scriptures where maybe historically we haven't done that, but where we can take some time and really leave these nights feeling like I have a practical application to the scriptures. So that being said, I have a story. Um, yeah, no, it's a good story. Um, so those, for the most of you who know this, um, I played hockey growing up pretty much my whole life. Uh, I think I started playing hockey when I was like five, played hockey till I was probably around 20. Uh, and the majority of you know my extremely heart-wrenching, sad, intense story of when I got cut from the hockey team, right? Everybody's probably heard that, you know, that one where I felt like my life was over and I lied to my fellow teammates because I was so ashamed to tell them that I got cut from the team. So they're like, did you make it? And I was like, yeah. And then they never saw me again because I didn't make it. I actually got cut from the team. Well, that story actually has a glorious ending in that I got cut from the team, uh, but after, because I got cut from the team, I changed positions in hockey. I got cut as a defenseman, went and played, because I couldn't even play in the same city. I left cities uh, because I, I couldn't, because I had tarnished my name, and they had, it's better that they thought I died than that I got cut from the team. So I left the city, changed positions, uh, and tried out for a team. And somehow I went from getting cut from a team um, to being, the, the, I think I was the captain or the assistant captain of the next team that I played. Uh, but in that, going to a different city to play hockey, I was the new guy. And if you've ever done this before in sports, or maybe you moved to a new school or you did something like that, or you, you know, leaving eighth grade, going into ninth grade, and that feeling of being the new person, and, you know, kind of the nervousness, but also the excitement, and you're trying to make friends, but you don't know if people are going to like you, and you hope that some of your old friends are going to the new school because it's such a nervous moment. Well, this is the way that I felt when I was going into this new town to play hockey, and 
one of the problems that I, I found was is that these guys, and some girls actually, there was quite a few girls who I played hockey with, um, they all kind of grew up together and they all played hockey together. And so uh, people, their friends, had to get cut in order for me to, the new guy, come in and play hockey. Yeah, it was really intense. And so as you could tell, going into the locker rooms was kind of lonely and sad as I kind of wheeled in and there was like the spider web corner. That was where they put me over there uh, because their friends didn't make the team because I made the team. And it all kind of came to a head uh, on one game when I found out actually that one of the, I think it was the captain at this point, so one of the assistant captains, uh, you know, we really didn't get along. He was kind of like the big guy. I forgive you, John, at this point in my life, I've gotten healing. Um, but at this point, what had happened was, is that we really didn't get along. And he had convinced my coach that he was better than me. And the deal that he struck with the coach was, if he could, if his line ended up doing better than my line, that the coach was going to take the captain's jersey from me and give it to this other guy. Okay. Now I caught wind of this. Uh, and it was actually pretty negative for me, as you can imagine. Uh, and this is the thing that was funny, though, in that story. A funny thing happened at this point is our team up until this point was actually really good. But the moment that this happened, our team went from being one of the best teams in the league to losing every single game from this point forward. And not only did the team tank, but I tanked as an individual. Okay, my line suffered, you know, I was really angry at them all the time. If something didn't go right, I was really abrasive and really aggressive. I was super self-conscious. I, in turn, to hearing that this guy was backstabbing me, I started backstabbing him. And it was funny how this one act of competition crippled me. It divided our players and it ruined this successful team that we played in. And I realize as I look back on it is that I lost the very thing in that moment and why our team suffered so much was I lost in that moment the very thing that the coach picked me and made me captain for and that was my heart for the team. Now, maybe you're sitting here and you're like, that's great, I've never played hockey. Maybe you've never had a coup of teammates rise up against you to try and steal your position. But each and every one of us in this room has been backstabbed at some point. We've all been hurt. We've all had people talk about us or talk against us. We've all had those moments where two of our friends are saying something and we find out that they're talking bad about you. Every single one of us has experienced an experience like this. Every one of us has felt insecure. At times we've gone into new situations and we felt out of place. Maybe you've moved to the city for the first time. Maybe you start a new job. Maybe you're in a new school. Maybe you're in a new relationship. But every single one of us has experienced these feelings. And it's funny how in a world where God tells us that the greatest thing that we can do in life is to love people. But at the same time, it can feel as though loving people is the hardest thing that we would have to do. It's funny how we can go through difficult situations and the triumph of the human spirit, but if somebody backstabs us, by golly, 
I'm going to take this one to my grave. It's hard to love people who cause us pain, right? It's hard to love people and be close to people who are better than us in areas that we feel like we're good at or we're trying to be good at in those areas. And this is the thing that I find is that the Bible now takes this even difficult concept of loving people and makes it even trickier. In that last night, we were talking from, we, were, we did a study a little bit on Luke chapter 6 and how God, Jesus steps in on the scene and he kind of blows up our human experiences. Because one of the things that humans are so notorious for doing, and we're so good at it, and we actually love it, is I love to like form a clique. You know that, like I got my posse, I made a joke last night about like I have my corner over there and my corner is safe. It's with Lola and Danielle, you know, and my cousin Julia, and that's my safe corner. And that there's other corners in the church that I dare not enter because it's just outside of my safe zone. It's, this is a crazy, uh, common human experience that we gravitate towards people who we feel safe with and away from people who make us feel nervous or insecure. But in Luke chapter 6, we have this funny moment with Jesus where he kind of blows up our common human experience. And then he tells us that when we love people who are lovely, or we love people who love us back, he basically tells us that there's no reward in loving those people. But in fact, he goes on to say that it's, it's our ability to love people and draw close to people who are difficult to love, who backstab us, who do wrong by us, who say things or things happen the Bible says that it's when we have this ability to love those people that that's when there's actually a reward to loving. Because Luke 6 tells us that it's easy to love people who love us back. It's easy to give to people who we know if I give this to you, I know you will respond in kind. But how do I respond when I'm in a situation or I'm around people when people have done things to me, they've challenged me, they've hurt me, they've backstabbed me, which when you're in a community of this size, it's inevitable. And I think one of the main areas the enemy tries to snatch us out of community is he tries to use other people that where God has called us together, he tries his very best, like what happened to me on my line, all he has to do is try to get in between us, and it's amazing how he has this, it's almost this incredible ability to divide us. Because it's so much easier to run away. It's so much easier to isolate. It's so much easier to cover ourselves than it is to, like Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, love those people who have done wrong by us. It's almost as if God knew this concept when he created us. That while being together is truly better, and I think that the majority of us are here because we've established that. We've established that being together and doing life together is better than being alone. But that while it's better together, together can be really tricky if we don't understand how to navigate those waters. I think this is what happened to the disciples in the upper room. In Acts chapter 2, 
you know, we have this great moment, and as, as church people, and especially as a pastor, we, we, we did a whole study of this through the summer this year in Buffalo, and talking about the early church, and, you know, the, the church in the book of Acts, and how we aspire to be like these people, because they were so great, and, and we, you, you see this in, in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, it says this, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all there in one accord, and in one place, and suddenly... There came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Now, I love this, and I've preached this scripture, you know, about this day of Pentecost, and there was such unity, and there was such synergy that was created, and they were of one mind and one heart, and they were going in the same direction, that they were one body, and because of that, the Holy Spirit could fill them. But I missed one very important point. It says on the day of Pentecost, Okay, now in this, at this time, the reason why it's called the day of Pentecost was, is that from the day that Jesus died, ascended to heaven, it was 50 days until the day of Pentecost. Now I'm thinking about this, is that we want to think sometimes that the disciples were in the upper room and they were like, you know, you ever seen Avatar when they're all around like the wishing tree and they're all like in sync and they're all the halo to the tree and they're all chanting the same thing and they're just like doing the thing as they're ready for the Holy Spirit to come. But I thought about something is that it says that on the day of Pentecost, after 50 days of being together, finally they figured out how the scripture says how to be in one accord. Which paints this picture for me, at least, that even the disciples, the people, Jesus' chosen ones. I think about, you know, the, how we talk about James and John, the sons of thunder. I think about Peter and all of his nonsense being in this room. And no wonder it took them so long to get into a place of one accord. But the reality of what I realize in the scripture is that there's a big difference in being around each other and being together. That the Bible paints a picture for us that says there's a difference in being with you compared to being for you. And I think the community that each of us are searching for as we close out our won't you be my neighbor is I don't want to just be around people. I don't want to just show up to this place, but essentially I'm just an isolated, standalone guy who comes and goes and never draws from the strength that comes from community. I want to, like we talk about the lion hunt in the herd, I want to always be found in the pack. I want to remain in the family. I want to reap the safety and the benefits and the encouragement of what it feels like to remain. But so often what happens, like I said, is that the enemy will try to use small things to get us to separate, to divide. He'll try to use a situation, the way this person looked at me. I heard that this person said something, this miscommunication. I didn't like their tone or their dress. Or did you hear that this person did this? I can't believe they did that. And he tries to get in and use these small situations. Why? So that he could separate us from the pack. So my question is, how do we get to a place of unity? How do we get to a place where instead of fighting against each other, 
we get to a place where we fight for each other, that we fight to unite. And then when we're in a place of being united, how do we fight to stay united? Because this is one thing that I've found being married to my wife, is it's one thing to stand up at the altar and say, I do, and to get united. That was the easiest part of my marriage. It's a totally different thing to remain united, to remain a team. That there are times in our relationship where we have to choose to fight for each other, even though we have a great reason why we should fight against each other. And so my question is, how do we do this? And tonight I want to give two very quick human tendencies. Well, I'm going to call them as toxic tendencies that try to come in and destroy community. And those two things are competition and comparison. I wrote it very simply like this. Competition is a statement that I'm more valuable than you. And comparison is a statement that says, you are more valuable than me. Both of them are toxic. Competition, however, is birthed out of a win-lose, limited spot mentality. It's this inward desire to stand out and to win at any cost. It's this inward need to prove that I'm better than the people that are around me. You see, this is what happened. This is what divided my hockey team when I was 13 years old, is that someone rose up and tried to prove the competition of I mattered more than the team. That even though we're all created differently, even though we're designed to be different, sometimes our culture can make us feel as though our differences should divide us. But I can begin to realize something, that if we were all the same, that if we all were the s- same strength in everything, when we were all, if we were all good at all the same stuff, that we'd have so many intense weaknesses. But in fact, the very thing that makes us strong is sometimes the most difficult thing to overcome. That sometimes when we're in community, we can see our strengths and see other people's weakness, and in our desire to feel as though we matter, we want to elevate or enlarge our strengths as to intensify other people's weaknesses. Now, I have an example for you, a very simple example Because competition seeks to devalue others by displaying its own value. And I think that sometimes when we look at funny kitchen utensils, it's very clear that each of these utensils has a very specific function, is it not? That for me to try to open a can with my spatula would be maddening, right? I would sit there and scrape at it. Oops, sorry, Dad. Scrape at it and cut it, and it would never happen. But how funny would it be for the spatula to think that it was better than the can opener because it can flip a burger? Or how funny would it be for 
the can opener to feel bad about itself because it couldn't do the job of the spatula. Now, in kitchen utensil terms, it's very obvious. But I think that sometimes what can happen inside of communities is the very thing that seems so obvious when we talk about kitchen utensils can be the very thing that challenges us inside of our relationships. That for the spatula to belittle the can opener because it couldn't flip a burger. But sometimes we find that this is the very thing that divides us. Because I've realized something is that what makes these each useful isn't that one of them is better than the other. It isn't that opening cans is a more valuable job than flipping eggs. But it's that each of them does what they're supposed to do, and they do it well. That each of them, when I as the chef, who call me a chef, grab the utensil, that it does the very thing it was designed to do. I've realized that competition is an external method to try to prove our worth to the people that are around us. That the desire to win comes as we aim to prove that we're valid and that we're valuable. That on the inside, we struggle to see our value. And so competition rises up because if I can be better than someone that's around me, it must mean that I'm better. And so we seek to find people who we feel or we see strengths that we have that they don't have as a way to somehow try to make us feel as though we're valuable to the family. 1 Corinthians says it like this, that we are many parts, but only one body. I've had to realize something, that other people's successes don't take away from the possibilities for my future. That in fact, I had to learn this lesson actually. I can remember in the very beginning of my relationship with Danielle, I didn't know how to argue. I thought that arguing was about winning. I thought that it was a match and you had your ideas and I have my ideas and we're gonna fight this out to prove who's right. And obviously that went horribly. And I can remember going before the Lord and asking God, God, would you please fix Danielle so that she can see that I have the answers. And I can remember sitting in my moment with the Lord and he talked to me, used the analogy of a team because I've played team sports my whole life and so I'm very familiar with this. And he said, he said, Alex, if you're on a team with somebody, is it possible for you to win and your teammate to lose? He said to me, the only way for you to win is that the both of you win together. That instead of trying to use your differences and fight about your differences and challenge each other and try to make each other change, instead, try to find a solution to be able to move forward. Because if I win and she loses as a team, we, I move forward and she moves backwards, and what? It only creates distance between us. The second thing that I want to talk about is comparison. Can I tell you something? The quickest way 
to fail is to try to be somebody else. This is what happened to me on my hockey team was, you see, I had strengths, but because I felt challenged, because I felt insecure about my own strengths, because I felt nervous that this other person on my team was actually better than me, what I did was, is I changed the things that made me strong and I tried to be the strengths of the other person. Now, it was very difficult to be strong like him because this dude was tall. Like, we were 13 and he was already like six foot two, okay? And so he was kind of like this enforcer big guy. And I really didn't like hit the growth spurt jam until like around 15, 16. And so here I am, like this four foot nine guy trying to be this big enforcer. And clearly, the strategy didn't work. And I realized the thing that made me fail wasn't that my team was against me. It wasn't that my coach was against me. It wasn't that there was this coup that had ridden up against me. It wasn't that, that he possessed some magical power and stole my strengths. It was that I could only be successful at being me. And the minute that I tried to be somebody else, I failed. I can remember the same thing in preaching when I first embarked on my preaching career. There was so many bad stories there. We could be here for hours. But one of the biggest mistakes that I made was that I thought that I had to be like the other people that were around me in order to be good at what I was doing. And so I tried to be my dad and clearly I couldn't be my dad. And so I tried to be my mom and I couldn't be my mom. And then I would find preachers online like T.D. Jakes and I would try to do what he did, but I definitely couldn't be like T.D. Jakes. And and what I did was I constantly was seeking around trying to be like other people. I was, like what the Bible says, I was the toe and I was devaluing myself because I saw how valuable the I was. You see, I've realized I'm terrible at being some, someone else because what makes me successful is when I understand how to celebrate the gifts that God has put in me. It's like the spatula refusing to flip eggs because it can't open a can. Or it's like the can opener feeling defeated and valueless because it can't flip a burger. Now it's funny when we talk about these things, but sometimes we feel that way. We feel like they have all the strengths and they're so good and because we see them being so good, we feel insecure And because we feel insecure, we kind of stand on the outside. And because we stand on the outside, people are looking at them feeling like, oh, I don't know, they're dangerous. And so because they're dangerous, I continue to stand on the outside. And we watch as we create this crazy cycle. Why? Because we're comparing ourselves to people who we never were supposed to be like. I'm only valuable when I express who God made me to be. So I've thought about this. Instead of cultivating comparison or cultivating competition, I think that we should cultivate gratitude. Because gratitude looks like this. It looks like when people are around me and they are succeeding, instead of trying to compete with them or prove that we're just as good as them or beating ourselves up because they're moving forward and we don't feel like we're moving forward, instead of that, 
let's learn what it feels like to celebrate when things are going great for other people. You know what I started doing? I realized this, is that when I was bothered that other people were succeeding, it actually, it kind of took me out of the ability for good things to happen to me because I was so focused on all the negative stuff that was happening in my life. But it was amazing. Watch, when I did this, when I started to see God do things for other people, I started to use their life as a prophetic picture for me of the very same plans that God has to prosper me in my own life. So now, when other people were succeeding, I was rejoicing because I realized that if God could do it for them, that God could do it for me. The last thing that I want to say is this, is that what makes a culture strong is when we choose to be vocal. How many of you know there's a very big difference from me knowing, I know that Sandy is a great guy. He's a great guy. But if I only walk around internally knowing that Sandy is a great guy, how many of you know there's no strength that happens in our relationship? You ever notice that when you pay someone a compliment, it's like automatically your relationship gets better. But I've realized something. When we're comparing or when we're competing, I don't want to pay somebody else a compliment because I don't want to draw other people to the strength that they see as if the strength in Sandy is, some, is somehow going to diminish the strength in me. Instead, I've realized something, is that we have to take an active stance against these things. Can I tell you something? What I started to do was this. This was years ago. Is I would find the most intimidating person in the room. The person who seems like they've got it all together, that everybody's flocking around. And I would just like get up in there and I would just like start laying on the compliments and letting this person. And you know what started to happen? People started to like me because I got known as the compliment guy. And so everybody left the other guy and they started to get around me because I was just like firing off these great compliments. You know, I realize it's very easy. It's actually really easy. When we stop competing and we stop comparing, it's actually easy to cultivate a culture, an environment, a community around us that begins to feed us the life as long as we understand. I don't have to compete against you. I don't have to compete against my dad. I'm not going to compete against Sandy. I'm not going to compete against Julia. I'm not comparing myself to how good of a guitar player Mike is. Why? Because God put me here for a reason. And that maybe I'm the little toe in this equation. But by golly, I'm going to be the best little toe that you guys have ever seen. Why? Because I realized something. I realized that it's, it truly is better to be together. It's better to fight those toxic thoughts. It's better to beat down that comparison, that insecurity, that vulnerability that we feel, and to choose to be together. Because we're stronger, we're better. Everything is better when we're together. So Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this evening. Lord, as we, I was going to say put a nail in the coffin of this series, and that's, that is really what we're doing. Lord, we're thanking you that what you've done in us is that you've convinced us 
of how important it is to be in community. Lord, let us be of one mind and one heart. Let us fight for each other rather than fight against each other. Let us truly be the body of Christ that you talk about. That where we're the eye will be the best eye, and where we're the toe will be the best toe. Will be the best belly button and the best fingers. Why? Because we know that we're better together than we are apart. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray your life was impacted by the service and that you were able to feel the tangible love of Jesus fill whatever space you're listening from. Maybe you found this message and you've never had the opportunity to come into a personal relationship with Jesus. Or you've known about him but have been far from him. We want to give you the opportunity to make his love a daily reality in your life. Jesus came to this earth and died on a cross so that you and I could be close to him. He wanted to wipe away every disappointment and bring you into a life of purpose and meaning, one that will impact this globe for good. So if you'd like to begin this journey with Jesus today, then repeat the simple prayer after me. Dear Jesus, I'm praying this prayer because I know that I've made mistakes and have been living without you. I apologize and I trust that you will forgive me. I accept your love and grace and ask that you would be my Lord and Savior. Help me believe in you and love you every day. Help me to show the world what you're like and how great your love is. I commit to live for you from this moment forward. In Jesus' name, amen. All of our Light City family are joining with heaven and celebrating over the commitment you just made to have Jesus as the Lord of your life. We have resources available for you to help you on this journey, but most of all, we're praying for you. Send us a note at info at golightcity.com to let us know about the decision you've made today. We have resources we'd love to send you uh, with some easy steps on how to go from here so that you can discover God in a real and meaningful way. If you have a prayer request, our team would love to connect with you and partner with you to see God transform your life. God bless you, and we look forward to hearing from you soon.